This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for January 19, 2021. The NPC podcast was created to discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry during the COVID era. We'll continue the healthcare conversation by answering questions sent by listeners. Just like you. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. Our guest today is Danny Goldman, Head of Strategy and Portfolio Operations, Canada at Sanofi Genzyme. He'll join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. To start this week's conversation, here is Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome to the NPC Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Shannon. Joining me today in our podcast gondola with an unobstructed view of the center ice action is James Shea, general manager for the council for continuing pharmaceutical education. Jim, lots of optimism in uh, Montreal from the Habs fans. Yeah. I don't know. Optimism. I don't even think that they're going to get the top draft pick. So is that optimistic? I, I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. No answer for you there. So the ever vital third element of our trio is Mark McElwain consultant and senior health policy expert. Hello there, Mark. Beliefs. All right. There we are. No Sens fans on the call today. Collectively, we wish to be known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the really cool names have been taken, such as Beijing and Tiny Tom Donuts. So Jim and Mark, we're uh, pleased to welcome a friend to today's podcast. That's Danny Goldman. Danny describes himself as a rogue scientist in drug engineering turned marketer, hyper-focused on storytelling using clinical data to ensure that Canadian physicians and patients know about and have confidence in all their treatment options. That's really good, Danny. You're a rogue in the company of rogues. So thanks for dropping by today. Absolutely. My pleasure. So you've taken on the role of Head of Strategy and Portfolio Operations Canada at Sanofi Genzyme. Uh, That's an interesting combination. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Thanks. You know, it's been an amazing transition so far. You know, I've been a marketer my entire career. So it was a very big pivot to switch into strategy and portfolio ops. You know, everything I do now is very above brand, focused on overall efficiencies, process improvement, and and high-level strategy, you know, to help the company make decisions for the future. And I think the best part of my role is I get to manage and work with a very high functional team. You know, they're a group of extremely passionate and talented people. You know, where we're focused on launch excellence, digital transformation, and other functions. I get to work very closely with our general manager and all the senior leaders across the country, which obviously gives me, um, you know, a wealth of new challenges and learning opportunities. It's been a pretty interesting switch. You know, as a marketer, you focus on one brand and you make decisions on what's best for the brand and the company. And you know, this new role allows me to look at everything from a big picture view. You know, uncover the strategies and sort of make decisions that help benefit everyone, not just an individual team. You know, so part of the challenge is integrating myself into various teams, better understanding what they do and what their objectives are, and then sort of take a holistic approach and how I can help them problem solve and then uh, ultimately find new efficiencies. Very cool. Yeah. Danny, it's Mark. 
Let's talk about patient advocacy. It's an area in pharma that is perhaps not acted upon as much as it's discussed. How would you define the optimal role of patient advocacy? I mean, patient advocacy, I think, plays a huge role for you know, any job in the pharma industry. And I think it's critical you know, at Sanofi Genzyme. It's the biggest reason why I joined the company 10 years ago. And the reason why I built my career there, you know, my role is only effective if I allow myself to be very curious and inquisitive and getting involved in things like improving patient communication for those who are, you know, for example, waiting for access to therapy, being able to challenge the various brands at Sanofi to pressure test their understanding of patients and truly uncover the most critical unmet need. You know, like I said, our, our biggest success pillar at Sanofi is acting for patients, which sort of acts as a guide in how we prioritize our work and how we make decisions. So anytime there's a topic on the table or, or a decision to be made, everyone does a pulse check sort of on how this is going to affect patients. And, you know, to me, I'm very proud to work for a company that really walks the talk about being patient centric, because I think every company includes it in their mission. But many companies, I think, like you said, they talk a big talk, but they're slow to sort of put things into action. It's Jim here. And maybe I should just mention for the audience that you are actually a cancer survivor. So how has that changed your perspective on the specifics of patient advocacy and the interaction with the industry in general? Yes, great question. Yeah, so I went through um, testicular cancer a couple of years ago, and honestly, it changed my entire outlook in the industry. You know, my whole career, I focused on bringing innovative therapies to the market to help Canadians live better lives, but I had no idea what it felt like to wait for treatment, wait for pathology results, navigate a very complex healthcare system and get access to treatment in a very timely manner. You know, so as someone looking in from the outside, you hear about, you know, what it's like going through a chronic disease, you know, and in pharma, we sit through focus groups, we sit through a ton of market research, and you think you have a genuine appreciation for what the patient journey is, right? But then you go through it yourself and it's very, very eye-opening. You know, I had to take almost a year off of work to deal with, you know, my cancer. And when I returned, I was laser focused on taking a role in oncology to use my firsthand knowledge to ensure that, you know, patients and physicians, they have a seamless journey from diagnosis to treatment. You know, my role in oncology was probably one of the most rewarding roles I've ever been in because I felt I had a personal obligation to, you know, challenge the status quo and, and use my cancer journey to, to help others. It was also really interesting, you know, for me to talk to a physician from a patient perspective rather than from an industry perspective. You know, because you're your own best health advocate. And as a patient, you know, I can say whatever I want to say. I don't have to really hold anything back. And given my experience in industry, you know, I'm well trained in reading and understanding clinical data. And, and that allowed me to really pressure test the decisions that my physicians were making for me and challenge them to ensure I had a full understanding on uh, what they were recommending. You know, I really think that my personal experience with cancer has exceptionally helped me better understand patients and really what to consider when making strategic decisions. Well, yeah, that certainly gives you a unique perspective for sure. Yeah. Now, getting back to the sports side of things, you know, the Sox and the Cubs and the Emmerman Angels are major league teams out of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> now, you're a Canadian ambassador for the Emmerman Angels. Could you tell us a little about the group and your role? Absolutely. So they're a fantastic group. I really can't say enough great things about them. They're a global not-for-profit group, and they're focused solely on one-to-one -one cancer mentorship. So, you know, when I got my diagnosis with testicular cancer, it's a pretty rare diagnosis and resources and patient advocacy within Canada 
was very scarce. I mean, you know, I called the Canadian Cancer Society and they told me that they had no volunteers with this cancer type to help me. I called various other groups and they had no resources, just, you know, apologies after apologies. So I quickly realized I'd have to go outside of Canada. And I quickly, after a you know Google search, I found Intermittent Angels. I filled out a pretty exhaustive survey, really understanding my cultural background, my disease, everything. And you know, what they do is then use that to holistically sort of match you to someone else as a mentor. So they matched me with an individual in the US. I spoke to this person over a dozen times, asking him every little question that was on my mind. And, you know, he was fantastic. And, you know, he made my nightmare a little bit more palpable. And, you know, after I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, I I thought that, you know, I needed to try and and be a cancer mentor to others. So I, you know, I did the training and I became a mentor and I've been able to talk to people of all ages at different stages of disease. You know, last week I spoke to a 42 year old person from Illinois and I could hear his wife crying in the background. And for me to be able to give that person even a little bit more hope to me, it's extremely, extremely rewarding. And, and, you know, back to your original question, I sort of, I guess, graduated from mentor to become the Canadian ambassador for MMN, trying to expand their footprint in Canada and make Canadians more aware that, you know, their services do exist. You know, for my dad, he just went through colorectal cancer during COVID. And I set him up also with Immerman and he now has a mentor that he talks to, which is very, very helpful. And I think at the end of the day, you know, my style at work and my style in my personal life is that I'm a very open book. And I think the people that I speak to, they really appreciate that, knowing that they can, you know, ask me anything without judgment or embarrassment. All I can say is, wow, amazing. Thank you. Well, that's great. It's Mark again here. And another thing in your resume is the master's degree in bioprocess engineering. So how has that affected your career journey at Sanofi Genzyme? Absolutely. So that, that's the whole rogue scientist piece. And, and that was a long time ago. So, you know, when I was in school, I, I was hyper-focused on being a bioprocess engineer to help, you know, scale up manufacturing of biologics, optimize the drug development process. But I quickly learned that lab work was not really my cup of tea, you know, so I realized I wasn't meant to work in the lab, but at the same time, there are so many things that I picked up during my education that have been very useful at Sanofi. I mean, you know, being an engineering student, you're constantly faced with challenges and complex issues where, you know, you have limited information, you need to make assumptions, you have to triangulate various pieces of information, and you have to make an informed decision based upon that. And, you know, my roles in marketing have presented plenty of ambiguous challenges where I readily apply my problem solving acumen. And in my current role, it applies even more because, you know, every day is a new adventure with new issues to tackle. You know, the degree was also very technical in nature, which helped me prepare to be able to have high level clinical discussions with various stakeholders. You know, I remember in my first marketing job, I worked at Johnson and Johnson and I covered their neurosurgery portfolio. And, you know, I had to talk about fluid dynamics with a group of neurosurgeons to explain how stents work. And, you know, after that conversation, I realized that if I hadn't done that degree, I would have given him sort of a a textbook regurgitated response instead of talking to them, you know, intelligently about the topic. So I, I think from a soft and hard skill perspective, that degree has really set me up for success in the pharmaceutical industry. You're listening to the NPC podcast with our guest, Danny Goldman of Sanofi Genzyme. So how has Sanofi Genzyme fared during the pandemic, Danny? You've you've had a few things going on there with the Regeneron split and some management changes. Yeah, you know what? I would say no different than any other global pharmaceutical company. You know, we've had to quickly pivot to new ways of working. We had to develop new understandings of how our customers wanted to be interacted with. And obviously, we had to get very comfortable with engaging on Zoom on a daily basis and, you know, collaborate digitally instead of face to face. 
you know, we found new ways of working, including using Miro boards, leveraging digital collaboration platforms like MS Teams and SharePoints. And I think also, aside from the challenges at work, people's personal lives dramatically suffered due to the pandemic, especially mental health. You know, but that being said, the company quickly acted. They provided a whole wealth of support services for everyone, you know, assets, educational resources, just related to overall health. And, you know, at the end of the day, as a company, we know what needs to be done to be successful. And I found ways of doing this, despite the challenges that the um, pandemic introduced. Still on the pandemic, it's Mark again. Has it affected the way you manage the company? Has it affected your relationship with the folks running the various franchises? You know, uh, I would say absolutely. I mean, in some ways it's made things easier. In some ways it's made things very much more difficult. I mean, prior to COVID, you know, you're running from meeting room to meeting room. You're dealing with lengthy commutes, aggressive travel schedules. And, you know, now it's a matter of when you're done one meeting, just clicking on a Zoom link and going to the next one, which makes things more efficient. But I think we all know and we can attest that Zoom fatigue is a really common theme everywhere. So I, you know, you have to make concerted efforts to stand, go for a walk and take breaks, but you really do miss the face-to-face interactions with colleagues. And it, you know, it can be very lonely at times, especially if you have an empty house like I do, where, you know, my, my spouse is at work, my kids are at school. I do have my furry child that keeps me company, but, you know, I talk a lot to him, but I'm not sure his English is up to par. So I don't know how meaningful our conversations really are. <laughs> I probably talked to him a little bit too much. Um, you know, but, but like anything we, we learn and we adapt, you know, I got into a new fitness routine and I stayed more consistent on it than I did before COVID. And, you know, I've been able to spend a ton more time with my family and my kids. So at the end of the day, I think, you know, people are managing, taking it sort of one day at a time, you know, but we're always confident and I'm exceptionally confident that, you know, Sanofi has the employee's best interests in mind and is always working to ensure that we have a safe and productive workplace. Very interesting. It's Jim back again. Now, you listed a number of things that the pandemic has forced. What are some of the things that were for the better and that you think are here to stay going forward? Absolutely. I think that what the pandemic has shown us thus far is that we can be just as productive, even if we're all remote. I think the key is going to be to find the sweet spot, right? So we would all prefer, you know, meeting and collaborating face to face, but with you know, all the time we're saving right now, not commuting, traveling, and like I said, going from room to room, you know, we've allowed our productivity to skyrocket, right? So we need to find the equilibrium between remote and in-person, you know, to ensure we remain highly productive, but also allow us to collaborate in person. So I think remote virtual working is definitely a benefit in some form or another that will exist for the long term. From a personal angle, you know, like I said before, it's, you know, I, I really did reprioritize my life when I went through my cancer journey. And I really got to sort of get a taste of that with the pandemic, sort of being at home, spending more time with my family, walking my kids to school every day. And to me, it's allowed me to, you know, really sort of hone in on, you know, what my balance in life needs to be, you know, with with work versus life and where I really need to prioritize things. So to me, that was something really, really major from a personal perspective that's benefited me. Wow. Interesting. Now, I'm a little bit of a wonky wheel on the shopping cart, so I'm going to throw in another question here. When I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I saw just a ream of certifications and designations. So you're a continuous learner. There's no doubt about it. And I noticed that you even have the CCP accreditation designation. You've got a number of things. So, you know, with what you're doing right now, you know, how is all this need for more knowledge and going out there and getting proper certifications and designations, including, as you mentioned, for uh, personal interaction with cancer sufferers, you know, 
How is that affecting your personal life and obviously your career too? What are you benefiting from? Absolutely. So, you know, prior to my current role, I was in marketing where, you know, every day you work with medical, you work with market access and public affairs. And although, you know, I have a great working knowledge in those areas from working with really smart people, I felt like I was still missing sort of like the foundation. And so, you know, I I managed to find a few people that, you know, for example, with my medical certification that, you know, were marketers like myself, and I asked them if they found value in this. And right away, you know, they, they said that they did, it completely changed the way they looked at medical affairs. And so I was very, very keen to complete that. And, and yes, obviously, you know, there's enough hours in the day to do my job and take these certifications. But, you know, I made this a priority because of, you know, how very important it is. And then the same thing with market access. I mean, you know, you all know how complex our system is in Canada and all the challenges that we face. And, you know, that's one of the sort of the hottest discussion topics in Canada is the whole market access picture, right? The public funding picture, the private funding. And, you know, the more that I know about this, the more intelligently I can talk internally, the the more sort of inquisitive I become. And now that I'm in my new role, you know, I sit on so many different teams and I get to work with so many different people. And now that I have this strong foundation in other areas outside of commercial marketing, I think, you know, it allows me to sort of more confidently pressure test things, challenge the status quo and potentially, you know, help the team find new ideas to be more efficient and help provide better outcomes for patients. Such a great answer. Such a great answer. Thanks for that. Of course. And it's Jim again. So Danny, now it's a point where we're going to invite you into our pontification corner and we, to make it cool, we put change the F to PH and pontification and, and K is for, uh, you know, there for the C. So we'd like you to predict the future for us. Obviously no easy task. What should we in the life science industry expect in 2022? Absolutely. Well, I'll I'll be honest. I left my crystal ball in my work office, but it's a tough question. I would say, you know, from an innovation standpoint, you know, there's still an exceptionally healthy pipeline, you know, among all or most companies that exist. And there's still a lot of unmet patient needs that exist. So In terms of our overall focus and our objectives, you know, it's going to continue to be on patients and delivering the right med for the right patient at the right time. From an engagement perspective, you know, we know that things are going to have to change and become more of a hybrid model. You know, I'm sure you've seen many, many surveys that were done in the industry that shown that since COVID began, you know, there's kind of a dichotomy that exists now between, you know, physicians on whether they want to meet face to face or virtually. You know, we've demonstrated in the last two years that we can engage in a virtual environment, but, you know, it definitely doesn't replace face-to-face. And when you look at a field like oncology, where, you know, the focus is on multidisciplinary specialist care, having various specialists in a room talking versus on Zoom is definitely more optimal. And, you know, I think lastly, we know that digital innovation and transformation is, is really the future of pharma. So how a company evolves over the next three to five years, and especially what their strategy is in digital transformation is going to be paramount in terms of how competitive, you know, we can be in the future. And I think, you know, COVID has sort of accelerated the need to transform digitally and has cemented the fact that we have to remain flexible, um, adaptable, and always ready to pivot when necessary. We're all uh, learning to pivot, that's for sure. We've been spending some time with Danny Goldman, self-described rogue scientist and clinical storyteller, and I will add to that all-round mensch. (laughs) Thank you. Danny, thanks for sharing your insights with our listeners. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, and thank you very much for the opportunity. If you have follow-up questions you'd like to ask Danny, or any comments for us about today's conversation, 
just tag us on Twitter at 2021NPC. You can also send an email to health at chronicle.org. Try this trick. Attach a voice clip to your message, and you might appear in an upcoming episode. If you enjoyed today's NPC podcast, please share it with your colleagues. Find us at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The National Pharmaceutical Congress is pleased to announce that Wednesday, February 9, 2022 has been declared Ronnie Miller Day. Join us to celebrate the occasion by registering at www.tiny.cc slash npcronnie. Or visit pharmacongress.info for more information. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.imprez.com. Your announcer is Leona Void of Chronicle Companies. The podcast producer is Jeremy Popsvisser. John Evans and Kylie Rebenick provided research. The musical theme is performed with light-hearted whimsy by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of Maestro Melas Milbrook. We'll speak again next week, when our guest will be Kathy Harley of the Nursing Association, Innswok. Until then, stay warm.